When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Tuesday morning to you. I know. Several of you out there going, yeah, really? Tuesday? What's good about it? You've been to the traffic? Yeah. Was out there and in it <laughs> for a while. But glad to be back home. Glad to be back in the building here of the outstanding structure of the ARN compound. Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app. And at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be back home after a weekend in Fort Worth. Not that there's anything wrong in Fort Worth, but Fort Worth is Fort Worth and Austin is Austin. So it's good to be here. Always good to be joined by my co host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, a proud graduate of Florence High School. Absolutely. Uh, he was an honorable mention all-district offensive lineman where they knew him as Highway 79. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. How you doing today? Uh, didn't get to do any show prep this morning because yeah. I was about to jump in the shower at, uh, what was it, about 7.45-ish this morning. And uh, got a call from the wife that my young daughter, which I'm sure this is going to be the first of many of these incidents, she misbehave again? No, forgot her backpack. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, You're going to have a lot of that. Drive over and drop it off. Yeah. Thankfully, one of the teachers was pulling up right when I was walking in, so that saved me the whole deal from having to buzz in and sign in and facial scan and DNA test and urine sample and all mm-hmm. the stuff. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, to, right, right. right. Full now, body so. cavity search. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so if we're telling the truth here, that never really ends all the way into adulthood. How many times have we're telling the truth, have you or I forgotten our back? You remember that one day here? I was yeah. late when I forgot mine? Yep. Yeah. It's happening with me. So it happens. It probably hasn't happened to our producer because he's always on top of things. He's a play-by-play prodigy for a reason. He is. That's why he was out in Big Spring, Texas over the weekend. He's Cameron Parker who joins us. How you doing, Cam? I'm doing good. And yeah, I, I've left my, my backpack one or a few times. Okay. Cam, I just have one question for you to start the show today. Let's do it. Are you ready to get to this Sark audio at the bottom of the hour finally? We're going to do it? Yes. That's okay. Be I mean, I heard it yesterday, Jeff, and we never got to it. Well, so. we got two wrapped up talking draft. 
That's true. Talking plenty you of draft. Guys were, you guys were drowning in draft coverage yesterday, Ron weren't Holland, you? and we had, yeah. we, had business, we had business. It was Business Monday yesterday. It's a, uh, it's a uh, Business Tuesday as well, you might say. So, yes, uh, Sark uh, uh, thoughts and uh, commentary coming up around the bottom of the hour uh, with our first hour Longhorn Notebook. Second hour uh, around the uh, bottom of the hour. Uh, this ought to make Tom Emily Wolfan are very, very happy because Tom is our resident Texas tennis expert. Howard Joffe, head coach of the Texas women's team, which is the number eight national seed, uh, hosting the regionals this weekend. Of course, the men are the number one overall seed. They're hosting NCAA regional. But we're going to visit with Howard and uh, talk about uh, their upcoming NCAA tournament. So we're going to do that. Uh, we've got a lot of things to get to. We'll hear from David Pierce, Longhorn's uh, head baseball coach, following the completion of the series in uh, Fort Worth and getting ready for the turnaround and headed up to Lawrence, Kansas. It's a little quicker turnaround since they finished on Monday. Uh, so uh, a player's day off today, and then they've got basically a day and a half of work to get in before they get on the plane and head up to Lawrence, Kansas, and get ready for the Kansas Jayhawks this coming weekend. So there are a lot of things. NBA playoffs. How about James Harden last night? 45 for the uh, Sixers. Yeah, uh, for me, last night was one of those games. By the time I got home on the drive back, Roger Wallace and I drive it back from Fort Worth, the, the NBA game was well underway. And... Uh, and so we get there, and Linda had prepared this nice dinner and everything to do that. And I was kind of flipping around. We were waiting on the Dodger game as well. And there's a Texas connection with that coming up to get to. And uh, so I, I flip it on, and I'm like, oh, the game's still on. And it was a minute to go in the game, and the Celtics were up, I think, three points. And in the classic thing where, where the, the old uh, standby thing where folks say, uh, you know, the only interest I have in the NBA, turn it on with a minute to go, and you're fine. Well, that's exactly what happened. I turned it on. There was a minute to go in the game. It was a three-point Celtics lead, and uh, then and the uh, and the Sixers wind up uh, what was it, like an eight to two run or something like that. And they wind up winning the ball game last night. I'll be honest. I, uh, you know, did some housework, did the dishes because I'm one of those people. I don't know if that's an OCD thing, but if like there's a couple of plates or something in the sink, I just uh, short circuits my brain. Well, you said the other day that's you kind of go to a to a uh, a place of meditation. It's and my thought. happy place mowing when you're the yard, either, which I got to do that. Yeah, when you're either week. mowing the yard or doing dishes, right? Mm-hmm. So I did that, and then uh, wife got home. We had uh, we watched a rerun of uh, the Good Doctor. Which that's one of those deals. I halfway, I'm kind of in and out. I'm on my phone. I've never seen that program before. It's it's neither it's neither one of those things. Many like many things in life, Craig. Neither fish nor fowl for me. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I'm kind of watching it on the phone and put Charlotte to bed. And then I just kind of hung out in my office. Kind of kept basketball on as really background noise. Okay. Kind of getting some a little, little bit of work done. A little perusing the message board at Horns twenty four seven. So not a not a ton of sports viewing for me last night i understand um did you hear what happened i like the stoner says no cameron and i were not talking as much draft as we were talking about the ponchos <laughs> experience in semi-pro college sports i.e division one basketball but <laughs> I, wanna, I, I forgot to mention this somebody uh mentioned yesterday we we're having a ponchos conversation that stealing the flag was like wearing a badge of honor cameron i don't know if you ever Jackson this steal the steal flag? the flag. It's kind of like back in the day, stealing the number of Whataburger was a big deal. 
Like they yeah. give you the plastic number. Yeah. But that there was that was kind of run of the mill stuff. If you were bold, and I did have a friend one time. We did go to Poncho's, and he did leave with a flag. Uh, he's like, I love the Sopapillas so much. I didn't raise the flag. I stole it. Walked out with it. That's pretty bold. If you're going to steal the flag at Poncho's. Wow. I, I it's a level up, but to me, it's a level up from taking the Whataburger. See, I'd heard about the Whataburger number, and I can neither confirm nor deny that one of my daughters was involved in such well, a heinous activity at one time. Especially if, like, the Whataburger number corresponded with a jersey number you yeah. wore, or if you got, you know, if number 69 was your Whataburger number, then that one was going home with somebody. Yeah. It, I mean, did you ever, did it ever get to a point where you were able to find a, Whataburger number seventy nine. I mean, that's getting never, up there. Never came across. Uh, never came across my order. Craig. Okay, okay. Unfortunately. Right. Okay. Um, well, uh, there. Oh, uh, and as always, we we do uh, offer you the opportunity to avail yourself of the Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. When last we visited before I left town. Um, our friend MJ for Hearn was going to have a package delivered, and he just dropped. He just uh, just uh, texted and said, "Jeff, did you get that package?" Uh, you know what, Craig? You check the text line. I'm gonna go out in the hall see if it's there. Real How quick. about that? All right, let me go check. I don't have a mailbox here, but let me go check and see if it's there. Okay, so he'll he'll do that. <laughs> Uh, our friend uh, Gringo said, "What's embarrassing is when you go to school and realize you forgot your pants." Now that would be that would be embarrassing uh here's something else that's embarrassing it's kind of along those lines this happened to me in the sixth grade and um it i went one year to this one specific elementary school we we uh where i grew up in north carolina and and i know it was like this in a lot of places in texas the, the elementary school went all the way through sixth grade and then what was called junior high was seven eight nine even though your ninth grade academic record counted on your high school transcript obviously your freshman year of high school but the way the school system was structured back then in north carolina you went elementary school first grade through sixth grade what was then junior high you know middle school seven eight nine and then it'd be your high school 10 11 12 now also know there's several uh, schools around our area that have a ninth grade campus uh, and in in uh, Plano, they have what are called high schools, and then senior high schools, ninth and tenth, on one in the junior senior. So there's several uh, about that around the area, and I'm I'm well aware of that. So folks don't have to text in with those. But my point was going to be, since we were talking about embarrassing moments, and Gringo said, what's really embarrassing is is uh, you know when you when you go in and you uh, go to school re- without re- pants. When you go to school without pants, that did not happen to me. What did happen to me was in sixth grade at this elementary school we were having one of those school project days where you uh picked out a famous uh figure from history american history or world history and you dressed up as that character so you know whatever king george or george washington or abraham lincoln or whatever, and and for whatever reason, I guess I was just fascinated with his biography. I selected the Scottish sailor John Paul Jones, who became an American hero because he was basically a a, uh, a hired gun, if you will, a, a privateer who uh, helped the American Revolutionary War effort uh, with uh, with his 
ship the uh wasn't the, he in led zeppelin uh john paul jones yeah that, a little bit different one okay uh the bonhomme richard richard uh in a big battle it's the famous sea battle where you hear him where they ask him when he's when they're hitting the getting the broadsides coming into the ship and captain pearson asks him for calls across the bow and says are you surrendering and he says i have not are you, are you ready to give up the fight he says i have not yet begun to fight that was the famous quote. Oh, that's right up there with like, uh, you know, the Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. It was right around that same time. This happened in 1779, so it would have been a few years after. So he says, I'm not yet begun to fight. And they go on and they come back and, and they end up winning the battle. Uh, so John Paul Jones is like this American Revolutionary War naval hero. Uh, so I decided I was going to dress up as John Paul Jones for this deal. So I tell my mom this. And my mom makes this really nice costume for me, and I've got the 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 you know the uh, britches that are kind of the you know like knickers, and you have the 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 white socks and the uh, and the buckled shoes, and probably the 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 puffy. Did you wear pirate a powdered? Did you wear a powdered wig? I did not, but I had a tricorner hat. You know, oh, nice! Yeah. So it was a whole thing. And I was pretty pumped up about it. So you basically look like the New England Patriots logo. It was kind of like that. And I did not want to get on the school bus with that because I rode a school bus uh, there. I didn't want to do that because kids would make funny and this and that and all that other kind of stuff. So my dad said, I'll take you to school. I'll drop you off. He drops me off. I start to walk in, and I see a guy from my sixth grade class. And he's dressed regular. And I said, what are you dressed up as? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, dressed up for our day. And he goes, that's next Tuesday. It's not today. Oh, no. So I was I was just just mortified. Mortified. I did. I went into the principal's office on my own and just sat down and I, I, I was in I was near in tears. I was just I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna do it. I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do. And they said, Poor Hold Craig. on. And they went into a lost and found bin and found me a shirt and a pair of pants. And a and a and a uh, and a pair of sneakers because remember I'm wearing buckled shoes, <laughs> and they said we'll just keep this to ourselves. And then they hung it up, uh, hung up my costume on it and said put these clothes on, and well, I did. Awesome. And then I went to school and had a regular day, and then took my costume. And then one week later, I I did get it right and went in, and it was it was uh, judged the best costume in the classroom. So it worked out. But it, it was that I'll kind of embarrassing well. moment. Yeah, at school it was just shocking at the time, but I was able to. You know, extricate myself from so thanks to the uh, office extricate. staff. There. Yeah, get out of it. Yeah, okay. uh, from a bad situation. So thanks so much to the administration of Millis Road Elementary School in uh, in the spring of 1972. That's when that happened when I was in sixth grade. So anyway, there's um, there's lots of other things to uh, discuss. Yeah, as well. hey, before we get too much further, gonna talk about your drop in on the ticket this morning. Uh, okay. All right. Well, well, were you, were you, did that jog your memory? Cause gambling fanatic is going Dallas stars, Dallas stars, Dallas stars, because, uh, they were talking about the series opener coming tonight between the Dallas stars and the Seattle Kraken, the Kraken who pulled the upset as, uh, it knocking out, uh, the, uh, defending Stanley cup champion, Colorado avalanche. There's already been two shocking upsets between that and the Boston Bruins, the one seed with the best regular season record in NHL history being taken out by the Florida Panthers in the first round. But they were talking about that yeah, on the yeah, ticket yeah. this morning. So you got to call in. So they were talking about the Seattle Kraken mascot, and you had to call in, Craig. You were asked to call in for your uh, – They called me. 
your top five, uh, was it your top five off the rails mascot? Yeah, names? yeah, it was that thing. Our, our, our good friend uh, George Dunham from the ticket, he called me on the drive back from Fort Worth yesterday and said, listen, we're doing a thing in the morning and we're talking about the Seattle Kraken. He goes, which I think is just a ridiculous mascot name, the Kraken. And I laughed. He said, but I want to do a thing where we talk about the most wheels off mascot names of all time. And you are the person that would I could, would you, would you pop on with us? I said, well, of course, you know, whatever, whatever for you guys, you know, whatever. So they called me and they asked me for, uh, the five, my top five nuttiest high school mascot names. And I, I said, well, you know, we've been down this road before, you know, the, the best Texas mascot names. I'm always going to put Itasca Wampus cats mm-hmm. at the top of the list. And I said, you can put the Hutto hippos right there. We're all used to the hippos, but it's sounds unique to so many people. And it is unique. It's the only hippos in Texas and the Grandview zebras and the Canipa purple rock crushers and the El Campo rice birds and the rock springs angoras. And I said, who would want to name their mascot after a goat with long silken hair? That's what an Angora is. Robstown's one of those that always Cotton stands pickers, out yep, for me. Yep, yep, yep. There's that one. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of those. And then I said there's some uh, – but in terms of the wheels off stuff, I said there's some honorable mentions. Uh, the uh, Glendale Dynamiters in California. Uh, the uh, Marlton Devil Dogs in uh, Arkansas mm. where they've got these big gargoyle uh, – uh, uh, statues up there gaps you know uh weird about that my wife has family that they teach in the uh marlton schools oh really so yeah. they're they're quite comfortable i have devil been dogs. to marlton arkansas craig all right you've been there in devil yeah. dog country yeah. uh gab's tarantulas in in gab's nevada and the canapolis wonder boys which was in my high school's district or conference as they call it back then they they went with the wonders for short but the five most bizarre as i call them mascot names for me High school number five from Churchland, Virginia, the Churchland Truckers. And that that one's I kind of dig that one for some. Everybody kind of likes that one a little bit. It's it's just weird. They it's called the Truckers it has nothing to do with truck driving or anything really. They just like the logo, the keep on trucking dude from the seventies, and they adopted that. Um, number four was the Saint Stanislaus Rockachaws. This was from Base Saint Louis, Mississippi, down along the Gulf so Coast. Weird private Catholic school. When I called down there, because I would call these principals and school officials to to get the history of why the mascot name was chosen. Mm-hmm. And in St. Stanislaus, I got a hold of Brother Akin Gautier of uh, St. Stanislaus in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And he said, a rockachaw is kind of a sticky little bug. And I said, what? A sticky little bug. You know that you walk on in. And it was, I said, oh, you mean like those sticker balls that you'd walk yeah. on, that little stem on the end? Yeah, that's their mascot name. That was number four. Number three was the Orofino Maniacs from Orofino, Idaho. And I thought, well, that's kind of an aggressive name, but it was kind of weird. Yeah. So I called to talk to the principal, and the school custodian answers the phone. And I said, he said, yeah, they're all down at the pep rally. So it was like about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're down at a pep rally, so I'm the only one here. I said, well, maybe you can help me on this. Why would the school choose the name Maniacs? He said, you know what? I really don't know. Some people think it's because we have a state mental hospital right down the road from us, but I don't think that's the reason. I'm like, oh, 
Okay. Uh, number two. We'll go with that. That sounds, yeah. that sounds fitting. Number two is a, a school that no longer carries this mascot name due to controversy. In Devil's Lake, North Dakota, they're the Devil's Lake Satans. And they had a little, you know, kind of like a yeah. Duke Blue Devil type of logo. But they went by the Satans. The school board finally booted it out. and, uh, and Good call. Yeah. And so they let the students choose the name. So they wanted to kind of keep it in that realm. So they went with the Blaze. But the school officials thought that was a drug reference, you know, like blazing a fatty or hooting a spliff, you know, something like that. So they tossed it out. And so they ended up with the Firebirds. And then the number one high school bizarre mascot name of all time, I've mentioned this before, it has to be, is from Yuma, Arizona. It's the Yuma Criminals. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, why would they, a school pick criminals? And when I talked to the principal, she said it was because... The original schoolhouse was in the old, famous Yuma prison. Mm -hmm. And um, there's even a movie called 310 to Yuma. It was redone in the Mm -hmm. 2000s, but the original one had Glenn Ford in it. And about where he's got to transfer a prisoner there to the the Yuma prison. And it was in the old, original, historic Yuma prison. And I laughed. And I said, what were the school's original color? Black and white stripes? And she said, yes. (laughs) Just dead battle. Like, okay, I'll make a note of that. So uh, that was it. That was that That's was why awesome. they had me on this morning. It's great. So and yeah. no, uh, texter, no. Unfortunately, Gerald's mascot is not the armpits. So no, that's, no, uh, the, the that's cougars. just that's just hearsay. They're the Cougars. They just yeah. Uh, Gringo says the minor leagues have quite a few. Uh, my grandson went to see him play. I used to like the Chattanooga lookouts with the big eyes. Yeah, and yeah. that's with Lookout Mountain being yeah. there. I mean, um, and and. Uh, you know, uh, my grandson played uh, first year in coach pitch. I went to see him Saturday morning before Texas played Saturday night. He was playing in Flower Mound. And they were the Cardinals. But the T-ball team he had played, he'd elevated up to coach pitch. The T-ball team he played for is called the Bananas. And it's after that minor league team, the Savannah, Savannah Bananas. Bananas yeah. So when he was elevated up to coach pitch, it created a roster spot. And who should get that roster spot? None other than Hank Tepper, Greg Tepper's son in his first. And so he shows up Saturday morning, and Aaron Hardigan was there, and they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? We'll so that's have, we, We'll just have high school scoreboard live. That's what the, we said. Uh, we said Flower Mountain Youth Sports Association uh, edition of that. So they were they were there. So Bananas is a weird one. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and, you know. Uh, there's, there's Toledo Mud Hens is always a good yeah, one and that's a classic one's been around. I mean, my hometown, Greensboro Grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's lots of we're uh, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers in North Carolina and the uh, Down East Wood Ducks. I mean, there's, there's lots of the uh, strange. What I like ones. about Round Rock, like it's unique, it stands out. It's but you know, Reed Ryan will tell you, and I was on the same page as he did not want Express. He wanted Fire Ants, and that's what I wanted when they had the name the team contest. Mm-hmm. I wanted the Round Rock Fire Ants. And I, I thought it would have been perfect, but that would have been cool. But we all got used to Express, and it well, has you, its. If, in the state of Texas, you'll just have to deal with Progresso, right? You've still got the Progresso yeah, the, red the, ants. the marching red ants. Yes, yes, uh huh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fighting okra is a weird mascot named someplace Delta State. They used to be the Devils, Delta State mm-hmm. Devils. Yeah, the fighting okra over there. That's in Cleveland, Mississippi. Uh, Montgomery Biscuits. Yeah, Double A affiliate. I've seen a Biscuits game there. Uh, before so yeah there's there's lots of weird ones on that so uh, absolutely 
Uh, uh, it so makes you when I'm sad, I need Craig to call me and say, blazing a fatty. <laughs> had somebody else text me this morning and said, I never thought I'd hear you actually say the word. But that's it's a well, term. Cameron's going to mark that, and we'll have it be a promo or something. That one and hooting a spliff, you know, <laughs> one of those. Okay. All right. Uh, we have our uh, Hoghorn notebook coming up. We do have Inconceivable as well. And uh, so a lot to get to today. We're going to hear from Sark coming up as we continue to light the tower. Here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Light the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Light the tower here on the horn. I, I meant to tell Cameron we got busy during the break, and I'm perfectly fine with the OJs here with backstabbers, what they do. Um, but we are going to have to pay tribute to the late, great Gordon Lightfoot who passed away at the age of 84. We're going to have to pay tribute to him uh, at uh, some point. But uh, this is a uh, Tuesday edition. Yes. Like the tower here on the horn, and time now for our first hour edition of the notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, finally, finally. And the reason why I'm doing this is because Cameron worked really hard to cut this audio and have it prepared. And as of tomorrow, it'll be a week old. So I want to make sure we get to this. And hey, it's always an appropriate time to talk Longhorn football. So this is Steve Sarkeesian last Wednesday at the Touchdown Club of Houston lunch. And this is not audio from the lunch, and this is the press conference he had before the lunch. And and we'll start with this, you know, with the Michigan game getting changed. And we know, Craig, I, I saw somebody saying, well, didn't this was already announced. No, this was widely assumed that the game was going to be moved to Texas playing in Ann Arbor in 2024, most likely to appease Fox for the lost revenue, which is yeah. also makes sense because in back-to-back years, Texas will go to Ann Arbor and Columbus. And then, I don't know, probably at that point be done with having to deal with Fox. And, and by the way, plan on those being big noon kickoffs unless – Things change. I would love uh, a night game at the big house, but sounds like we'll get a kegs and eggs on that day, Craig, most likely. Yeah, yeah, but, I think you're probably right. But, you know, you look at the rest of the non-conference series Texas has scheduled, Georgia's one of them, which uh, starting next year, that won't be a, con- a non-conference game. Florida, starting next year, that won't be a non-conference game either. So Sark was asked, based on the news about the Michigan series getting changed, his opinion on non-conference scheduling and what that might look like as Texas goes into the SEC. Well, I think I think there's a lot of value to having big non-conference games. Um, you know, obviously we, we had Alabama last year at home. We're going to Alabama this year in 23. I think we'd go to Michigan in 24. We'd go to Ohio State in 25. And then Ohio State comes back in 26. Michigan comes back in 27. Uh, in the end, you know, I think – 
as you go through training camp, you, you know, everybody has their sights on your conference play and what that looks like. But I also think you have to prepare yourself for what that's going to look like. And, and having those big non-conference games early in the season sometimes serve you really well in about week three of training camp when it feels like, man, we're just beating the heck out of each other and the season seems so far down the road. But now when you have that, that big game kind of early in your season, man, that can serve as a tool to keep guys motivated. And, and, and the co- coaches can use that tool and you can start to game plan a little bit to break up some of the monotony. And you find out about your team. You find out about you know how guys respond against a really quality opponent, how they respond going into some, some hostile environments uh, and where your team needs to grow up. And you don't have to suffer uh, if you don't play well and you happen to lose that game, it doesn't have to be catastrophic from a conference standing perspective. And I think more importantly now than ever, with us going to, you know, as moving forward to 12, a 12 team, you know, college football playoff, one loss in a non-conference game isn't going to feel as catastrophic because I think you're going to see multiple lost teams in that playoff. I mean, just look at the last decade and and take one through 12 in the rankings, how many losses did team 12 have or team 11 or team 10? You're you're looking at some three lost teams that are going to be in the playoffs. So now it serves you to go play a quality non-conference opponent knowing you if you don't win, you could withstand it. If you do win, man, that gains a lot of momentum and confidence for your team moving forward. I go back and forth on this, Craig, when you talk about a quality non-conference opponent. And I really think, you know, for CDC, and I know Sark has some input on this, but ultimately, you know, there are people in the athletic department that are going to do the schedules. I think you almost have to go back to that Mac Brown model. When the Big 12 had a – you played nine conference games. And mm-hmm. Matt, I just loved Mac's philosophy of your non-conference – your three non-conference games should be – one should be the game where you kind of roll the ball out and you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Which is usually the opener. Yeah, you, you, you're tune up. Uh, your second game should be a, 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 a preferably an in-state opponent, but like what now would be a group of five opponent that's gonna push you a little bit. You, you got to show up. You got to put in some effort. And then your third game is uh, a power five opponent that mm-hmm. should really get you ready for conference play. As far as that game goes, there's some really intriguing options. So the SEC schools are obviously off the table when Texas joins that league. But I think about. You know, would Texas, would they rather schedule a Texas Tech, a Baylor, a TCU for that game? Or would they like to go maybe to the Big Ten or the ACC and get some matchups that we haven't seen in a while or ever? Like, would you like to do maybe a home-and-home with Nebraska? Get that thing maybe going for a couple of years. The one that I I would love, Craig, absolutely 100% because they've never played each other. I want a Texas-Florida State home-and-home. I'd be good with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be fun. I don't, I don't think that. And also, I've heard coaches say this. I heard Max say it one time, but I've heard lots of coaches say this: that the non-conference game has to be won in a number of areas that benefits your program. Mm-hmm. A number of areas, and they say, well, you know, how does playing UTSA or whatever, or UTEP or Texas State, or whatever, benefit the program? That's an in-state thing, and so there's within the system, too. yeah, yeah. In the case of UTSA and UTEP, for sure. So, so that that benefits in that respect. Um, you know, there's and maybe a competitive thing that sort of stuff. But I, 
I like the thought of intersectional matchups. I think the, the Michigan thing's really cool, and Ohio yep. State is really cool, and obviously Alabama is, even though they're about to be a conference opponents. Right. And, uh, you know, some of those other ones like that. Um, I don't know that – what's the best way to put this? Second-tier Power 5 non-conference games are that helpful. Right. Nebraska would fall into that category for me. Uh, Florida, when, when Texas played North Carolina? Yeah, but except that Carolina was still, you know, pretty good and reasonable at the time, uh, you know, and, and that was part of a deal. You know, John Makovic made that schedule. That, would would UCLA be a better example maybe where UCLA was at the time? Yes. Okay. Yes. There it is. Obviously, USC, with, with what Lincoln Riley's doing with the program now, that's a different issue, and uh, you have the, the great – but um, like when they played Virginia. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and like I said, I'd put Nebraska in that category. I'd, I'd, I'd put Colorado in that category. At this point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just there's just some – Stanford at the time. Yeah, there's yeah. – okay, I see where you're if going. If you played Northwestern yeah. or, or – uh, uh, sorry, Bucky, Boston College. I mean, if you there's some that just – that aren't going to carry the cachet. If you're going to play a Power 5 school, you need to play a Power 5 school. Right. Um, I, I like the Florida State thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that. Uh, you know, Clemson would be one. Yep. That, that yep. Uh, have, they ever, have they ever played each other, Texas and Clemson? Nope. Okay. All the more reason for it to mm-hmm. happen. Um, I'm thinking, like, you go to the Big Ten, like, Penn, Texas. It's been a while since Texas has played Penn State. That would be good. Even Michigan State would be good, yeah, off of that. But they're getting ready, of course, to play Michigan. You know, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Texas is always mm-hmm. going to be attractive for eyeballs. We talk about Big Ten teams; you'd have to talk about USC at that point. Yes, you know, and and let me say this with regard to the West Coast: uh, one of my best friends on the planet is a huge, avowed Oregon State grad, and all that. That wouldn't benefit Texas that much to play Oregon. They played them in that bowl game, obviously. Yeah, Oregon, different issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you could even make that case with Washington as well with the, with the profile of Washington State. Not so much. Right. So I, I think it depends. Cal, like a few years ago, of course, the, the program was at a lower ebb here at the time mm-hmm. when that was set up. So I mean, in theory, Maryland, but we know what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you see what happened in with theory, that. theory, yeah, Maryland. That's, that's the theory. Somebody said just put that in there on the deal. <laughs> so I understand that, you know. Okay. Somebody said anybody ever, did they ever have a home and home against Clemson? They did not. So there, there are some really intriguing matchups that you know, and I'm not saying you do that to avoid TCU or Baylor Tech or just to stick it to the Big Twelve or whatever. But if you want to branch out, there's some really interesting matchups going to the Big Ten and the ACC that you can schedule. That I think for not just for your fan base, but I think for college football fans, like you don't think the networks would say, "Hey, you know, Clemson and Texas in Austin, you know, Labor Day weekend is that your Monday night game, your Sunday night game, right?" You know, that's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. I think I think that's where you're going with that. Yeah. Can it be, you know, your marquee type game? Uh, Cam, I'm gonna give you producer's choice on the next cut. What else we got from Sark? I think he had a really interesting response when he was asked about what are the team's roster needs. So obviously, the portal is now closed, but I thought this was a really interesting response from Sark asking what was the team's needs after spring ball. I don't know if we necessarily have a need. Um, need. You know, there's obviously some luxuries, um, and and again, you kind of monitor the portal of what's going on. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more activity in the portal than than 
what we saw kind of in December and January. Uh, that doesn't mean it's 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 over yet. Just like just like we do exit meetings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, coming out of our spring game. Those exit meetings are going on around the country as well right now, too. And so uh, I would expect to see maybe a little bit more movement from a portal perspective around the country. Um, if there's something there that, that kind of piques our interest, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. But we're not actively just, man, we have to get this position filled. I, I feel comfortable with our team that we have right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that we won't we won't explore some things. But um, I, I feel good about where we're at. The the two spots that I was thinking about were off ball linebacker was one just because you wanted some combination of the guys you have other than Jalen Ford to get to a point in the spring where you said okay we don't need to go into the portal to get linebacker help. Uh, and ed- edge is one of the, I think edge and, and maybe from a number standpoint tight end would be the only two positions I think that you you could do it if you're Texas. There's a problem with that. They don't have any spots right now. And the fact that there hasn't been uh, any attrition so far other than the four guys that, that entered right off the bat, that tells you to think that guys probably feel like, based on what they were told from Sark in their exit meetings, that they've got a chance to compete for whatever spot they deem is keep getting them on an upward trajectory this summer going into camp that they, their hope is still alive for whatever wherever they want to be on this roster um now keep in mind with the portal the portal is closed so if, if somebody entered if they got their name into compliance by the close of business sunday they could still pop up in the portal today so if you get to the close of business today and nobody's in the portal then you'll definitely know at that point okay good done over with nobody in the portal for sure uh the, here's the catch though and I think this is maybe where you could see some attrition this summer, depending on how guys you know, view their status on the depth chart. Grad transfers can go into the portal at any time. Uh, that's a good point. That's the the large exception. So if a, let's say a guy graduates this month and then you know co- comes back for summer conditioning and just realizes, you know what, I think it's time for me to move on, because we've seen that plenty of times, Craig. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. At that point, that would open up a spot. And then you can go into the portal and figure out, okay, based on where that guy is, do we need to go into the portal to get depth there? Can one of the young guys fill that spot? Whatever it is. So not quite completely done with the portal, but you're a few hours away from breaking the tape on that deal and going into the summer, by and large, with your roster intact. Yeah. Uh, we have time for maybe a couple more, Cam. Any, anything else top of mind for you? Yeah, kind of piggybacking off. The roster needs. Sark was asked on the Pivot podcast, um, I believe it's now two weeks ago, about his team. And, and Sark had an interesting quote where he said, It feels like a, a Steve Sarkeesian team. Yeah. He was asked, Can you expand on that? I looked at when we went to build this roster, we had two pods, right? We had a pod of, we had a players that we inherited, right? That signed up for something totally different than what we were going to bring. Um, culturally, schematically, position coaches. So as we, as we worked with this pod over here, how were we going to get them to buy into who we are, who we, who, who we are schematically, offense, defense, special teams, and who we are culturally? And through that time, you have natural attrition. You have players that graduate. You have players that transfer. You have players that leave, you know, that go on to the NFL. Um, and then you have other players that kind of 
slowly but surely buy into what you're doing. And so now in year three, we've got a group of guys who have been here the entire time that, that we've been here that believe in everything that we're doing. The way we rate, weight train, the way we condition, the way we practice, the culture, the, the, the camaraderie that, that we have. Uh, so that that's a very positive group. Over here now, I've got a group of young men that I've recruited. And we've now had two consecutive recruiting classes that have solely been our recruiting classes, whether they've been high school kids or or uh, transfers, where inevitably, yes, there's a there's a physical the physical attributes that they need to fit in criteria for us of what we're looking for as linemen or receivers or safeties. But two, do they meet the 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 character aspects of what we're looking for to to fit into our culture quickly? And I think that we've done a good job here. I think that we've done a good job here. And so all of a sudden now, we've got a group of young men that I think are bought into who we are, what we're about. We look the part, right? We look how we want to look. But culturally and and who we are as a team, I think more importantly, that's what makes me feel good about it. I, I like... The way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we go about our business, the way we represent the University of Texas, the way we practice, the way we play. Those are all signs of things that, man, this this looks like how I wanted our football team at Texas to look. Craig, I, I want to get your take on this because uh, you've seen enough Texas coaching regimes now to get a feel for this. You think about John Makovic's team, how it looked his first year in 1992 and then what it looked like in 94 that season before they went on the run, winning two conference championships, what Max team looked like in 98 and then what it looked like in 2000, even Charlie in 2014. And then what it looked like in 16, his last year. And then for Tom Herman, what it looked like in 17 and then what it looked like in 19 coming off that sugar bowl win over Georgia. I don't think Sark, I think Sark is on the money because all those examples I just mentioned, you can see those teams. You could see the vision of that coach, coming to life with what the roster looked like going into year three. The difference is varying levels of success with all three of those guys. And in Charlie's case, year three was his last year. But, you know, the proof is ultimately going to be in the pudding. It looks like your team. Now it now it's, does your philosophy, does your way of roster building, does your vision for the program, is that a winning vision? Is that a championship level vision? And is this the year for Sark where you start to see that? Uh, and, and I also think the, the dynamics have changed a bit. In the prior examples of what you were talking about, uh, John McAvick back in 92, which was my first year in the booth, mm-hmm. in the broadcast booth after I'd, I'd been the studio anchor from 88 to 91, uh, it wasn't a complete rebuild, but it was a rebuild mm-hmm. coming off the five and six. And the prior year before that was the Shock the Nation tour. But even that was a stunner. That was a one-off there because they'd had a, right. a, a four and seven and a five and six involved in there. The uh, When Mac took over, obviously it was coming off a of four and seven. It was really a rough situation uh, there. And I, I think even though Texas went to a bowl game in Max last year when Charlie started, I think folks knew it was going to be a teardown and, and start up over again. And the same thing, obviously, with Tom Herman. Uh, and while it was not a complete teardown and rebuild for Sark, it was getting the caliber of player that he envisions what he needed. And we heard all the talk about the big humans and all that sort of stuff. That that was a big piece of it, a big part of it. win with size inside, yeah. speed outside. And that wasn't always the philosophy of all. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, what, I think one of the most misunderstood uh, philosophies in building a football program is the interpretation of the word speed. 
and you know the old uh, Cliff Gustafson thing about speed ain't ever had a bad day. Uh, speed doesn't have a bad day, but if all you have is speed and you don't have size inside, fast enough ain't going to save you mm-hmm. on that on that sort of thing. And I, yeah. I think that was that was proven over time. Football's different than than other sports in that respect. So the building of the programs are better, and that's where your point is coming in. And I agree with you about how. Sark has this team much more in the vision for how he projects it going forward, the right combination of size of the right spot and speed in the areas where you have to have it most, and athleticism across the board. This this team, Sark's year three of all those others, really reminds me of Mack's year three because you still had some holdovers from the John McEvick regime, mm-hmm. right? Leonard Davis, mm-hmm. Casey Hampton, mm-hmm. Sean Rogers, NFL caliber players that were still yep. around. And you look at, you know, J.T. Sanders was a guy mm-hmm. that Sark inherited, and you can go on down the line. But the big difference was you looked at that 99 recruiting class with Rod and Corey Redding and Chris Sims and Bo Scaife and Derek Dockery on top of that 2000 class with Nathan Vasher and Roy Williams and B.J. Johnson. You looked at that 2000 roster and you said, man, in, in my lifetime following the program, I'm like, I haven't seen a roster look like these guys look like guys that are going to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think what what we saw in the spring game, that should have been the takeaway, I think, that a lot of people had. Like, it's it's been a minute since we've seen guys on the hoof that just – and that was the – whether it was any of our national guys at 24-7 Sports that watched the spring game, any of our guys at CBS that watched the spring game, that was kind of the one consensus takeaway is – it's been a long time since I've seen a Texas roster that looked like this roster looks. Right, and we all understand that nobody's making any statements of uh, being absolute. Uh, we all understand you still have to, like you said, proof is in the pudding. you mm-hmm. got to have to prove it on the field. I think we all thought going into 19, Tom Herman was there, right? Yep. But it ultimately, by the end of the deal, we, yeah. and we know what happened. So the the proof is truly there to to be proved. It has to happen. But at least they're better positioned yeah. on that. I heard Bucky and Aaron talking about this morning. I guess what Vegas is putting Texas at a plus one sixty to win the Big Twelve. They have the highest odds or whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna admit I'm totally out of my depth when you're talking about gambling odds yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, that kind of thing. In other words, it, that, that that's the best odds uh, for that sort of thing. And I don't really pay that much attention to it because it, it's a different game. What as Brent Musburger is so fond of saying, uh, "Friends in the desert." It's a different game what they're looking for. They're not necessarily just looking for who the best team is going to be. They're looking at it at a number that's going to drive action one way or the other, whether they truly believe that or not. So I think it, I think it's a combination. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it's Caesars. I think that yeah. has it out. Texas is at a plus one eighty, followed by Oklahoma TCU, and that's why I say it. It, it can be a measuring tool, a measuring stick of of the interest on that, and and what it might be. But I don't think it tells the truth, the the full story on that because of the mindset that those people have out there about what their goal and purpose is for what mm-hmm. they want, and that's to drive revenue with both sides of it, action on both sides. That's how they make their money. Cameron, great job, sir. Yeah, thank you for your diligent work. Yeah, thank you good. for everything you've done to your body for this show. <laughs> it's appreciated. Uh, next hour. Uh, like we said, Howard Jaffe, Texas women's tennis coach. Also, we're going to hear from David Pierce next hour uh, following uh, the loss to TCU yesterday. And somebody had a UT pitching with a sad face on it. Yeah, yesterday it was like that. Did you see the first two games? Uh, the ones that Texas, the pitching was, was on par. And they're not a finished product with what they have to do with pitching. 
So that's why it's the the one example you point out, absolutely. But there was, you know, solid pitching in game one, especially from Lucas Gordon, and really good pitching in game two, especially from LeBaron Johnson, if you saw that as well. It's kind of the scary thing with LBJ and scary, but yep. I mean, like, if if this is the start of him establishing consistency, then you've definitely got an arm that can win you high leverage games yep. in the postseason. So, and and that's that's the key. That's the rub. The, the what ifs going down the rest of the regular season. No midweek game this week. They leave on Thursday for uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, coming up, inconceivable when we continue with light the tower on the horn. One zero four nine one zero one nine AM twelve sixty live local and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Apparently some folks think it's inconceivable to hear me utter the words blazing a fatty. I mean, that's already gotten drawn some action there on on the Twitters. Uh, by the way, uh, you heard me say this before. Um, new Twitter handle for me because that other Twitter account was just a mess and couldn't get it uh, squared away with the folks from Twitter. So I had to uh, establish a whole new account. It's under at Horn Voice. So that was the deal. I was actually going to use my name in it again, uh, Jeff. Mm-hmm. But unless I was willing to add like six digits to it, and I don't mean dollar sign. I'm talking about actually you would have to add all these numbers to it at Craigway, like three, four, five, six, seven or something, because there was almost all manner of things involving my name or the letter C with weight were taken. That's bizarre. Well, I went with Horn Boy, so it was just easier to remember that. So so it did that. There you go. uh, So anyway, all right. Am I leading off or are you? You're leading off. All right. Uh, Thank you, John in the Bay, for this contribution. Cam, this kind of goes in line with that that one we had yesterday a little bit, just kind of like weird stuff happening. Uh, A Texas man dining with a woman left the restaurant and killed a fake parking attendant who swindled him out of $40 before returning to the eatery to finish the date, this is according to police, Eric Aguirre, 29, was out on probation for an aggravated assault when he allegedly shot dead 46-year-old Elliot Nix in Houston on April 11th over a phony parking scheme. Aguirre, who is facing murder charges, appeared in court Thursday, and his bond was set at $200,000, according to KPRC. According to investigators, Aguirre and the woman parked separately in the lot uh, in the city's uh, I guess Edo neighborhood. I'm not familiar with Houston. Uh, E-A-D-O, capital E, capital D. Somebody from Houston's going to have to help me out with that. Uh, the pair was approached by Nick's, who lied and said he was a parking attendant and asked them for $40 uh, for both of their cars. Aguirre then walked to a corner store, got the cash, and paid Nick's before he and his date sat down at a local burger joint, Rodeo Goat, investigators said. Uh, there was a wait, quote, there was a waiter who knew the guy was scamming people for parking, and he advised them, hey, that guy is scamming you for parking, an attorney for Aguirre's date, Rick DeToto, told the outlet. An enraged Aguirre, imagine this guy's out for aggravated assault, he would become enraged. Yeah, 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 yeah bro. I'll show him. Uh, he was then spotted by, wit- uh, by witnesses at a nearby smoke shop sprinting back to his car grabbing a handgun and chasing Nick's down the street. A witness said he didn't see the shooting but heard a gunshot ring out shortly before 8 p.m. Aguirre allegedly shot Nick's and left his body on the side of the road. That's according to investigators. Uh, He then, quote-unquote, nonchalantly walked back, put the gun back in his car, and returned to the restaurant. 
He allegedly told the woman that, quote, everything was fine, end quote, and that he just scared the man, according to court documents obtained by Fox News. Quote, at some point, he said he was uncomfortable with the restaurant and they left to eat somewhere else. Well, yeah, I would be uncomfortable, too, if I just murdered a guy a couple of blocks <laughs> away. Uh, Houston police officers responded to a call about the shooting and found Nick's unresponsive with a gunshot wound. He was transported by EMS to an area hospital where he was declared dead. Aguirre's dad had no, he heard his date had no clue what had happened until police released the photos of the two together and said they were wanted for questioning in the shooting. She voluntarily called police and was interviewed on April 13th. According to her attorney, quote, she wanted to do the right thing. She wanted to make sure that she came forward and told police what she knew. Uh, a warrant was issued for his arrest on April 15th. He was arrested in Corpus Christi and brought back to Harris County where he was booked into jail on Tuesday. Okay, that's a bizarre murder story in Texas. I got a bizarre murder story for you. Maybe it's not that bizarre because it happened in Oklahoma. Uh, Nothing in that state surprises me. Uh, see if this raises your eyebrow a bit. Well, can I, was meth involved? Uh, could have been. I don't know, okay. but, but I do know this. Jesse L. McFadden a registered sex offender who was thought to be traveling with two missing Oklahoma teens is, is believed to be among the seven people found dead at a home yesterday just hours after he missed a scheduled court appearance. Boy, that, the, that uh, is as wheels off of a lead as we have ever read on mm-hmm. this in this segment. It gets weirder. The uh, two teenagers are also believed to be among the bodies found at the home uh, in Okmulgee County. It's in Henrietta. Now, uh, the two teens have been the subject of of an uh, and current home, as well as hometown, of our good friend, David Garrett, my producer on the uh, Longhorn Basketball Road broadcast this year. Seven bodies were found at a property where McFadden lived. The bodies were found not in the residence, but just on the property. So, obviously, I texted Dave this morning Mm -hmm. and said, what the heck? He said, it's two miles east from my nest, right out Main Street into the country. I drive by it every day. I should have seen the police there yesterday. It was like the movies. They discovered the bodies about two-ish, and it became a massive crime scene. He said, it's right out of a misery-type house, a dainty old farm home. Man. Yeah. So Do they have any leads or just? Oh, so it's bizarre. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of bizarre... We need a palate cleanser here pretty quick. Well, it's not going to happen on this one. Uh, <laughs> the heads up. Massive car crash yesterday in Montgomery County, Illinois, about three and a half hours south of Chicago on I-55. You say, yeah, there's wrecks on the interstate all the time. Yeah, this one was caused by dirt. Come again? A dust storm. Oh. In Illinois. I mean, huh. we're not talking Lubbock here. This is a... a, a, a this is like ex- having a Lincoln, Nebraska. This yeah. Is- Excessive winds blew dirt from nearby farms. It caused zero visibility on the road. More than 70 vehicles were involved in Good a pileup. Lord. Six people dead. 70? 70. More than three dozen hospitalized from this. All six fatalities occurred in the northbound lanes. Accidents occurred on both sides of the road. More than 30 agencies um, were there, and they said it was horrific. So, and the pictures I saw, just you just see dust everywhere. So, yeah, that was that's why I said Damn, your palate son. cleanser wasn't going to happen on that. Um, so, um, I've got your palate cleanser right here. Thankfully. And it involves your Texas Longhorn baseball team. 
Okay. Now, you're a very busy dude. Did you get a chance to watch the game yesterday on ESPN Plus? No, because by the time I got home, I saw the score, and it was pretty much church at that point. Okay. So. All right. Cam, did you get a chance to see any of the ball game? Very beginning. Okay. So neither of you were watching in the fifth inning when it was 13 to 4 TCU. It was not. I was watching since I was calling the game, but I did not see this happen. Apparently, he had a foul ball go down the right field line in foul territory. And uh, what happened was, as the foul ball was pursued down the line, this got tweeted out by a lot of people. Here it is right here, Jeff. You see the ball go over in the corner, Mm -hmm. and there's a fan with a net who's trying to reach it. Out of nowhere, Cody Howard, the Longhorn reliever, scoops it up, runs down there, and and they swat at him with that net. So Cody, to his credit, then takes the baseball into the bullpen. He closes the door to make sure it's and then he just kind of casually walks over and tosses it to a fan. <laughs> so it was just weird, but the guy would, when Cody comes running out of nowhere and picks it up, the TCU fan, angry at him, swats at him with the net. So this wasn't like some school official. This was just some. It was a, it was a fan with a net trying to get it. And it was a Some foul ball. Slappy with a net. Yeah, just leaning over there with a net. And it was in kind of some elevated and if you bring seating a area. Net to a baseball game, you're a flawed person. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're, you're not Harry Carey. Unless you know? you're over the age yeah. of I don't know, yeah. ten. Yeah. So uh, I didn't even know that happened. I did not even know that happened until I saw it. Uh, you know, late last night. Uh, <laughs> Cody Howard running down there out of the Texas pool, and it happened when Ace Whitehead was warming up. In the bullpen, too, as, uh, as he was hitting, uh, heating up there. So uh, there was uh, – so there's your palate cleanser Did they there. eject the fan with the net for being a tool, or was he allowed to stay? He's a TCU fan, so probably not going to happen there, a hometown fan. you know. If it had been a Longhorn fan with a net with a TCU player, that would hauled him out probably. Yeah. Probably visiting team fan as opposed to home team fan. Home team fan, different issue. So you can that's get what happens. I guess you can get away with slappery when you're, uh, yeah. for lack well, of a and, better and, term. And, and, you know, to be fair, he did not make contact with Cody Howard. He swiped at him with the net, but did not make contact yeah, with him. You should be kicked out just for being a grown man taking a fishing net to a baseball game. <laughs> uh, somebody said, speaking of Cody, how about Cody Clemens? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that coming up. Uh, unless you were up late last night, you might not have seen this. Uh, so we'll we'll get to that coming up. Also, we'll hear from David Pierce coming off of that since we'll have some Longhorn baseball at the top of the hour. Bottom of the hour, Howard Joffe, Texas women's tennis coach, joins us. We have another hour of Life the Tower coming up on the Horn.